This is my favorite by Ooh. far. Baby pants That's with metal amazing. ducting for legs, especially the middle one, is fantastic. Wow. wow. Can you hear me? Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of cough syrup, I guess. <laughs> so mostly after the fever broke, I've been much better more morale wise, I guess. So like 16 hours of it was low grade, but just fever is never fun. Sweating and cold and sweating and cold and mm, yeah, no fun. How long have you yeah. been down? A couple of days. Well, a sore throat on Sunday, Monday. I woke up and felt not great. Tested positive and then fever. Yeah, my wife got it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fun. The yeah, weird cool. things of like just trying to get medicine, normal cold medicine. When you have a virus, we have all these delivery services, but like all of it's out of stock and you yeah, can't right. get people to just deliver you cough syrup, <laughs> but you can't go get it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. Oh, take it. Yeah. Cool. I decided we needed symmetry in everything we do. So figured I would also get COVID so that we could have this fairness and everything we yeah, do on this podcast. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Pretty good. Too much to do. Not getting through enough. But other than that, pretty good. Had a series of, like, child wake-ups and then a faulty smoke alarm going off at 4 a.m. So I was just like, I rolled out of bed at 4.30. I was like, all right, let's go to work. Well, <laughs> burn day. I've both been exhausted and, like, fallen asleep at, like, 7 p.m. one night, which is strange for me. And then... Last night, I couldn't fall asleep till like midnight. It was like, okay, I guess I've had enough sleep now. <laughs> Caught up. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking last week I should time code when I drink coffee and then it'll just make it easier for me to go through and cut it out. <laughs> it sounds neurotic, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm enjoying your audio edits. I like the clips. <laughs> Very good. I'm like, glad like that the last episode makes sense because i was a little bit in a covid fever as i was finishing it i was like i'm glad jim listened to this because that whole like mental confusion thing is very true especially when you're in the heat of the fever part i'm looking forward to this week's (laughs) see how weird it can get it's just like only don talking let me loose yeah yeah i like i like that don made an appearance as a so have you been in work headspace at all you've just been in recovery mode uh, a little bit. I've been trying. I had a bit of a tussle with trying to get the Prusa to work remotely. Lucky Ricky got in and reset it. But I've been sending some of the baby pants, which just continues to have issues with weird things. Like, it's amazing the minor changes that you can do to all of a sudden then have what's called like overhang, right? So it's like printing and you try to rely on the space below. Yeah. being something to rely on and kind of like the slicer software doesn't really show you what's going to happen so it's why it's so relevant to call it baby pants but on the butt side right mm-hmm. that's where we're getting weird overhang mess basically and it just looks like squiggly lines that don't fall into a good yeah. situation the alternative is support or change your design and it was printing fine until all my tests were printing fine until i was like let's do the final one and then it's <laughs> of course of mess. course yeah yeah you're printing in a controlled box aren't you like your temperature controlled yeah I, I, I mean it's controlled by only what the prusa creates it's not any sure. additional features but it should be 
actually pretty dang good. There's also this whole thing I didn't understand prior to getting the producer really was you can get moisture in your filament and then that uh-huh. causes basically mini explosions as it's coming yeah, out yeah. you know like your toothpaste situation where you squeeze it it goes it's that basically there was, there was talk of this at the trade show last week because a lot of what we saw was printing and ah. yeah i remember talking to we ran into a bunch of technicians we went for beers afterwards and one of them was talking about building drying environment for their film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think they were running a mark forged x7 so oh. super fancy printer yeah but yeah moisture was a big deal <clears throat> i think they were they were critical of how the filament was shipped and that they'd made an even more sort of moisture proof container oh. for it to be stored in but yeah i didn't know that previously that that was an issue it- Definitely mm. adds some complication. It'd be like if we had to do like moisture tests on our plywood before we cut it, right? Like uh, I don't do that anyway. You can bake it in your oven. There's all these different factors oh, yeah, wow. that okay. I haven't gotten to yet, but yeah. I have to deal with it. It's it just trying to do anything in a production environment with it seems like we're going to have to control it more. And totally. Well, yeah, production printing is a different game, right? To just prototyping bits and bobs on it. Apparently, yeah. Well, very curious to hear about this tool show. How was this? Uh, it was good. I got more out of it than I expected, to be honest. I was going partly for fun, mm-hmm. and, you know, a bit of a work trip with my friend Will, who I've probably mm-hmm. mentioned. He's getting into printing in a big way. And so he was going. So we went together. It was a good thing. But yeah, I wasn't expecting to come back with a machine tool or I didn't even have any really specific areas that I was looking to research other than getting some new tooling supplies for like the thread mill that we use on the pencil mm. sharpener, which got confiscated off me in security anecdotally. That was fun. Um, I saw that post. I didn't know if you made it through. <laughs> no, they took it off me. Thankfully, it was a, a chipped tool and not a, a fresh. But no, I got more out of it. So had some conversations with like the Autodesk resellers mm. who were there and chatted to some tooling reps and just, yeah, checked out a bunch of yeah, nothing groundbreaking, but it was really good to see what's happening. Um, it wasn't, there was no sort of woodwork or timber work related ah, yeah. stuff there. So it's all like more engineering, lathing. Jim, it's called turning. A little disappointing, but it's also, eh, I don't know. I like seeing the difference too, but it's like totally. they're going to try to make your current business better that I haven't been in this space since uh, those kind of places, since we bought, since I bought the router in 2017, and I went to a, basically a woodworking show, mm. and CNC routers were there, and it was like the best place to see a bunch of different of those makers that I could find. Yeah. And yeah. ever since then, I basically found that that's pretty uncommon, except for that one show. It's it's mostly metal, and now I'm kind of like, oh, I'd like to see both. Yeah, that's cool. It's just nice to be exposed to. Different things, but yeah, it was interesting kind of walking around the show with the lens of which of these technologies is still going to be around in five years because like 3D printing additive stuff is moving so fast, it seems, in terms Mm -hmm. of where the quality is going. Interesting to think down the road and be like, cool, if I invested in X today, like a valuable technology in five to ten years' time. But that was cool. I was going to ask you about production 3d printing i'm fairly new to 3d printing definitely no expert at it i've kind of been stumbling my way through i basically ignored it all through school 
because it was like my opinion, a sh- you know, a crapshoot. It was <laughs> like fused acrylic powder. And it basically, if you picked it up, it would fall apart again. And it was super expensive. It's like the type we had. And so I, it just didn't seem feasible for so long. And then, you know, lately, last year or so, I've gotten into the FDM, FFF style, where it's basically a little Play-Doh extruder. And after watching that for so long, it's both impressive, but also seems really archaic in a certain way. Mm, you know, it's like, I know you mean. Yeah. If, we, if we had that idea in laser printing, for example, we would be waiting all day for one piece of paper to come out. You know, yeah. like if it only came out of one little thing, like, can we do the laser printer version of this where it comes out just like, you know, mm, real quick? Totally. It's got like a bajillion little ink heads to a plotter. I'm hoping that's the kind of advancement because I, I feel even kind of weird trying to go about making production parts for like the dust boot on this one. Like I keep thinking, do I need to invest in a better printer? Is this the thing to be doing it with? Yeah, sure. Oh, that's, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So how do you, because I think you said it's an 11-hour print or something in that realm. How do you go about pricing something like that? Because obviously you can't put a normal CNC hourly rate. Yeah, to be honest, I've never considered selling it as a service because of this. It doesn't seem like a professional service to me because it's so easy to take off the shelf and print. And I don't see us making any ROI on printing other people's things. Like it's just so cost effective for other people to buy a machine and do it. There's a lot of prototyping in houses. Our our intention of buying the printers in the first place was kind of like Saunders always talks about making things for your business to improve it. Yeah. But then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we could potentially make these couple parts for products we're thinking about. And those seem pretty durable. Like basically weird funnels and things like that for dust collection is kind of where we've ended up with it. And I'm not sure yet. That's, that's my plan as of right now. And if it proves to be either not high enough quality or durable or something, but when I mean, we've been using it and it's, it seems incredibly durable at this point, uh, I'm expecting it to last for quite a while. Like those little port, uh, dust boot ports. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there'll be another step. You know, a big consideration for me is if we're selling 10 of these a week for some reason thankfully mm. we'll be buying more printers is my only thought to it sure, at this point. Sure. but how like how do you like say you're making it printing parts for your own product line a product line that you're selling that 11 hours of machine time yeah yes yes it's a cheap relatively cheap machine compared to a, a router that like i'm just thinking through it now yeah. do you assume that one day you'll have to pay for an injection molded parts and then you price it now as if it is an injection molded uh, part or do you put an hourly rate on the printer or some value yeah i've always been interested in this because of just the time involved in printing it's kind of it's almost free time and then you just charge for a bit of resin or plastic or whatever it is yeah and a margin on that like yeah it's it's weird it's inc- it's really yeah i don't my answer is i don't really consider it actually in some of these products where what I think we're selling is it's like yeah. a collection of things. So yeah, yeah. if we had to charge by the hour, there's no way it would be beneficial. But there's the price of the machine becomes pretty affordable considering what you could sell the parts for, hopefully. Yep. In contrast to it as a service, I just don't, it would have to be way more uh, volume based. And I just don't usually have a lot of interest in that kind of pumping of 
parts out, but the I thought that the electricity cost would be a lot more of a consideration, but I think it uses 180 watts an hour, you know, at full printing. Yeah. So it's pretty minimal and really yeah. you're just considering the filament. I suppose this has sort of come to my mind because in the last year we've gone from a single CNC machine to three ah, yes. and then... I've also given up my role as lead machinist. So Johnny's lead machinist. We have an employee who runs up to three machines simultaneously. And I've always been a bit confused about how to how to price that. Yeah, no, I agree. It's like, yes, everything's quoted independently as if it's running its own machine. But then in reality, John, you know, in a dream state, three jobs at the same time. And then, you know, he, John's reporting his time, so he's reporting his time as an operator, but he's also reporting Cameron's time and Trinity's time and the pencil sharpness time as three independent machine tools that are doing work. And, like, it gets really messy in terms of... I mean, the simplest way to think about it is just it's three machines and an operator that's kind of four clocks yeah. running at the same time. But, yeah, it's something that perplexes me a little bit, and I haven't quite worked out how to deal with it. But I've had that same exact thought and i do feel i've said this before i feel really strange that we're still not keeping track of the data i think it's probably going to come at some point back but but yeah but we we were pretty stringent about keeping track of all that stuff and i would i would get that question of so i'm working on the cnc running something i'm also doing another job post-processing yeah how do i keep that time tracking and i (laughs) i think my best answer was just like you can basically keep that time. Yeah, and yeah. so that way we would basically like modify it after the fact. But in terms yep. of like calculating your time for costing and stuff like that, it's honestly, how do you get to that final number? And the only thing I can think is you have to add it all up and divide it back down <laughs> to like, what's the total amounts. But sometimes those numbers then become crazy. They're like not reasonable hourly rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't get that either. So we need somebody that has a, business degree i think yeah or someone who what's your business manager say multiple machines sarah and i are kind of in the same boat we don't quite know how to deal with it in the past we've always just applied a similar hourly rate to a machine tool that we do to a human Mm -hmm. because we don't know what rate to put on cameron the machine tool versus the operator so we've just we've made it simple for ourselves and we've just kind of basically applied the same rate to everything and we just run kind of what i did too yeah yeah Hopefully somebody has a better answer to this because that is yeah, interesting. I mean, I don't want it to, to be super complicated, though. Like, no, no, no. I want the I same thing you gave. Be, yeah, like I think, you know, to be solved in a sense, but it's also something that's a curiosity of like, is there a better way to do this? I don't know. The reason for me to do any of that data tracking in the first place, though, was to make sure that you accidentally not making money, you know? Yes, totally. And so if that, there was a point in time where my cost tracking was wildly wrong like three times less than it should have been you know like hourly rate and i just never really caught it we were making way more profit on each job than we were so it's that exact problem right that i could see being a way bigger problem and you know every year like well we're not really bringing home money and yeah um yeah and that's the the good thing about data i guess if you you don't track it you don't know (laughs) <laughs> or like if uh-huh. there's a question that you can't answer, it's probably worth answering it just to <laughs> yeah. make sure that everything's okay mm-hmm. working out. Yeah. Cool. So why haven't you brought a Brucey yet? <laughs> uh, Will and I were chatting about this last week when we're up there. The, the conundrum of growing a business to a point where 
you know, and I've mentioned this like about my discomfort about investing in tools now without sort of some level of team approval. But we're discussing that and we're like, cool, we've, you know, I've built a business to a point very much just on intuition and making things up on the fly and doing what felt right at the time. And how do you balance that, you know, almost 15 years of growth and intuition against a budget in a spreadsheet of like, which is kind of where we're at now. Like we're planning our 2023 financial year budget, which is a fairly new process for us. I think this Mm -hmm. year just gone totally understanding the value and doing a proper budget looking forward and but conflicted against the old me that would be just like, cool, I'm buying a Prusa now or I'm buying a laser cutter yesterday. Don't know. No, again, no answers, just an interesting conflict that I've got going on at the moment. But um, it's a way bigger topic than I wanted to talk about this, but I don't know that right now kind of would take (laughs) us off a lot of other things, but budget going into what seems like a sliding world economy was probably a pretty good idea versus buying machines because it feels like Mm. it could be the right idea. And it's definitely something I keep, I have a lot to budget on at the moment. Like nothing's really that stable, but I'm, you know, I would not be considering buying any new machines at the moment, trying Mm. to keep the ones we have busy. Um, Yeah fairly treacherous at the moment with the way that especially I feel the U S economies are going right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that's a very wise, safe, safe approach to, to be honest, <laughs> retain your cash. Not that um, Bruce is going to break your most businesses. No, budget. I know, but everything stacks up. Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, it's going tangenting here, but I think the most valuable things I got out of that trip to the tool show was flying, being in the air for an hour each way. I'd forgotten how amazing that headspace is. Like, it's the most unaccountable time. The phone's off. You're strapped in a seat in the sky. The sketchbook comes out. And I got so much productive, critical design thinking done in those two hours of flight time than I have in, like, the last two months. Like, it was just so good to just punch out some work. It's awesome. I do miss that. Mm. I, it's always been my most productive sketchbook time as well. It's just in a fever, just like scratching away, like page after page of these disgusting, I wouldn't show anybody what I've done. It's such a mess, but like, yeah, incredibly productive. You're like Rain Man with like papers <laughs> all over around you and people next to you are like, what is he doing? Yeah. I'm building kidapots. <laughs> I'm designing a bed. Quiet. I'm threaded dells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I designed some machines on the way up and I designed some products oh. on the way back. It was, good. it was a good time. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I love that too. I, I haven't flown since at least 2019. Have you had any challenge with trying to plan your product costing or just like design features basically based on having scarce materials? Has this been a thing? I know you've changed some of your stuff, but has it been continuously changing for you at all? I'm going to say no. There's certain materials that we've run out of and we'll probably never get again. Like I think we machined the last sheet of 18 millimeter radiata plywood yesterday, which is a product we've been using for 10 plus years. Just pine, then, right? Yeah, it's just pine. Basically, and, yeah. And it's not that we can't get it at all. Like we could go out and find it again, but our supplier has stopped bringing in that particular product. And it was mm. just a really good 
moment for us to say, cool, all right, that's the last of the South American radiata we're going to get. Let's switch that to Australian local stock. So it's not that it's impossible for us to get it. It was just, yeah, a real good kick up the butt. I'm assuming it's a cost trade-off then? Yeah, it's more expensive to get the local stuff. And yeah, like, yeah, there's challenges, but no, nothing, nothing that's really changing the product line. Like the new, the kit parts update won't have any film face plywood in it because that's the, the birch that we still have access to, but I expect it to run out as well at some point uh, or just get stupidly expensive. Like it's already gone up hugely. I mean, what you're but saying again, though, chosen to eliminate troublesome products, materials yeah. out of the equation though. Yeah. 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 What about you? Yeah. Trying to do the same. We set off with the knackball stuff being so reliant on Baltic birch that that's been a tough withdrawal to try to find alternatives and the way that i designed those things like these boxes i just the way that it hangs on the wall the kind of joinery i just i don't know how to make alternatives that would be as strong or as reliable and to change it without testing it in a significant way especially over time i wouldn't want to put that into people's hands and not know how it works so yeah i don't know i overthink all these things but i would rather that than something falling apart on somebody where i've kind of come to is just trying to go with basically the same thing you're doing it's not a local product necessarily but like the apple ply is i understand they're gonna keep doing everything they can to keep making it and the core is a birch but the price will go up and they'll keep finding a way to get it I don't know if that mm. means like blood money or what, but hopefully not. Mm. I feel like they're a better company than that, you know, trying to figure out how to get that here. That's the only thing I can think of is to do that or to not make like the plywood boxes that we've been making for it and just kind of finally biting the bullet of that's the way we have to go. There's no like hoping that Baltic Birch comes back. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? When you've made a whole bunch of design decisions around the qualities of Birch and then to try and sub that out yeah, is challenging. We're running into that now because we're, you know, I suppose at some level we're just making a flat-out kind of ethical decision to go, cool, let's get local materials rather yeah. than imported materials. Well aware that that's going to introduce all sorts of production challenges, which we're already running into, like the, the hoop pine is nowhere near as consistent in terms of its thickness across the sheet, so we're doing have to do much more sort of sanding tolerance control new challenges hmm. with like setting the material thickness to start like where do you pick the nominal material thickness out of a sheet and then what do you sand yep. to and all sorts of tr- tricks and challenges even just little things like all of our sort of router manual router table tooling is set up for 12 and 18 mil stock whereas all the hoop pine is sort of 12.7 and 19 are like subtle variations Weird. in thickness so kind of retooling resetting up resetting processes but yeah coming back to your point of like just structural details like i'm doing some product development for a client at the moment we machined some parts this week that ben looked at them he was like oh i don't feel comfortable about how that split button engages with that rebate like i feel like that the hoopine's just going to delaminate i was mm-hmm. like oh yeah no that's a really good point that is a risk we need to test that and thinking about it now it's like there's definitely birch Mm-hmm. structure like birch assumptions going on there of like if that had been machined in birch i don't think anyone would have questioned it 
but yep. because it's in this material that's subtly weaker, like nothing can compete with that like insane toughness of birch. I was curious, um, you're using like the radiata pine is similar. The thing we always run into with clients in pre, even pre-pandemic, but as it's, you know, mm. gotten crazier price-wise is the core consistency in like voids. Do you have a lot of that mm. issue? Yep. So then yeah, do you definitely. fill it after you cut the parts or yeah, like yeah. do you just kind of allow it to happen? Depends on the project. I'd prefer not to fill anything. Mm-hmm. unless it's affecting the usability. Like if it's a desktop or a tabletop, there's the void that's going to actually fill up with stuff, then absolutely I'll fill that. But if it's just purely aesthetic, like end grain void that you've machined through, I'd prefer not to fill those features because I feel like, A, it's being more honest to the material, and B, I don't like the way fill looks end grain situation. But, yeah, certainly more more voids in the hoop pine than we're used to in the birch. Yeah. And that, that's the kind of stuff that potentially <laughs> switching for a structural scenario. That's, yeah. I kind of figured that was going to be your answer, but I was just also curious and more and more trying to understand some of those things of like, how do you deal with this? And it, it seems like you have over time, maybe a pandemic scenario started to move to those kind of other solutions that don't that you can get locally or they're more reliable it's only really happened recently to be honest we've been it's forced our hand which has been positive but yeah challenging nice are you quoting much at the moment got a ton of rfqs of course the first couple days of being homesick so uh (laughs) i got like four on monday some of them easy nose but Yes, it's not. Yeah, getting some, and I, I, I've had, I battled this idea throughout. I'm not sticking super strictly to my default diary times, right? <laughs> like, like you've described, but I have had this a couple times. Be it any scenario, it's R and D, it's quoting, it's sales, and I'm always one that's like when I'm in a flow of working that I don't ever want to leave that flow, like whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. For example, like even with quotes, it's like I'm in this headspace of crunching numbers. What do you do when you hit the end of your quoting block, but you have two quotes to do left? Mm, I feel like, oh, good question. I don't find flow very often. I feel like I'm interrupted so regularly that I get dragged away before I have a chance to think, oh, I'd like to keep doing that. And then it's two hours later. I'm like, what was I doing? Oh, that's right. Oh, well, I'll finish that tomorrow. But Yeah, I don't know. I think the way I've structured my default diary, things end with some sort of logical time. So my quoting window stops when lunch starts, never on downs tools and comes into the lunchroom. And often I'll push through like halfway through lunch or even all the way through lunch to try and finish a quote Mm -hmm. to get it ready. So Sarah's got it to send after lunch. So like I stretch that time through lunch sometimes, but there's still kind of a a rhythm to the day that makes sense to put down whatever I'm doing. Same with R&D, like as people come into the building, I'm kind of finishing my mm. R&D time. It's nice, it'd be nice to continue that headspace, but I find it really just breaks my kind of focus and my rhythm as people enter the building, you know, just yeah. reading naturally breaks down the space I was in and I move into the next phase of the day. So I think finding sort of natural rhythm points in the day that kind of break it up for me is how I've done it. I would like those. That sounds mm. nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. If you're working I, at I home by kinda, yourself. And uh, just with the small team we have now, it's like Ricky and I can kind of work independently for most yeah. of a day and kind of check in and we both have gotten what we need to done or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. I, it's not important. I'm just trying to bash out for myself. Do I want to stick to this or is the productivity more important? I think probably the schedule is probably smarter because then I'm getting done what I've intended to in all segments. Mm. But sometimes I don't, yeah. like I said before, I don't have anything to do. Like I don't have a production prep thing to do. We don't have a new job. And then I do stick through. But I think maybe maybe the answer is when I have enough to do in each of these segments, then you go with those. You go with the thing, the, the next block rather than sitting there. And, and it's, it's just a tough challenge because what happens mm. when people are expecting quotes and you just keep you can only get done two a day in that time period. Like, what do you, you, I guess you just stay late. Yeah, look, if you've promised someone something, yeah, I stay late. But I find the two hours a day, I get through quotes so much more consistently. Mm-hmm. And people are waiting, like are getting stuff much quicker than they used to be in the old model. In the old model, stuff would sit for weeks sometimes. Mm. And then mm-hmm. I'd have, you know, a huge rush of quoting get a whole bunch of stuff out and then as a result would have a huge rush of work and then i would stop quoting because we were too busy and would have this like yeah this wave structure by being strict and only doing those two hours a day or trying to mm-hmm. it's really just flattened our production waves for the most part yeah yeah it certainly helped in that respect i think something the other tool that i think can be useful which, you know, is probably a little different between you and I in terms of I'm trying to, with my team, I'm trying to sort of reduce distraction where possible. Mm-hmm. So we have a structure in place of like, for my key staff, we have a designated time every day where we check in. For Sarah, it's, you know, a 10, 15 a.m. call. Or Aaron, it's, you know, 8, 15 in the morning. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, and we try and keep lists for each other. So instead of like badgering each other throughout the day on Slack or in person, we're just like, if it's not urgent, put it on the list, put it on Aaron's list, put it on John's list. And then at the pre-designated time when we both know we're going to chat, it's like, cool, what have you got? Oh, nothing today. Cool. Let's carry on. Or like, yeah, I've got a few points, a few questions. And that's, I find that a really effective way to like, um, not not distract each other, but also have a a known point, which when when we know we're going to check in and chat Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you, how do you communicate with Ricky informally as required? Yeah, pretty informally. Yeah. I, I found it to be a lot more important to have more planning type things when we had three to four people. Just a lot more to that kind of distraction uh, for me anyway was almost to the point of overwhelming with like I could never get anything accomplished when it was yeah. just like, hey, how do I fix this problem? Yeah, yeah. So I totally could see that and I would probably try to do the same. Another perk to like work from home when we had more people is just like, I'm distant. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, like there's less, it's almost like an office with a really closed door. I think everybody's always been really respectful of trying to not be distracting with each other but it just happens like you, you got the cnc running and there's a problem and you're the one that did the cam like who are you gonna go talk to yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah i don't know at some point again i'm sure and my goal is to have somebody else that's doing the cam probably as well as somebody else that's in between you know that's actually helping manage those things too and that'll that'll make a big difference yeah nice. when we get there yeah. did you listen just, to the making it 
I did. Mm. I was a little, I guess, hesitant. I didn't know how sad I was going to be. Yeah. Were you sick at the time already? Yeah. What did I? Was it last yesterday? I think I listened to it. So I just yeah, kind of okay. like playing with slicing baby pants and listening to that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was good. And yeah, I don't know. It's you could tell, like Jimmy talking through his his friend and shopmate dying that he's very emotional. I can't imagine being able to talk about it so soon after, honestly. It could be tough know, right? mm. to even communicate as much as he did. I have not heard that show before, so I don't know much about the other people. Bob Claget, is he the I like to make stuff guy? Yeah. The right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really follow him much either, but know of him. I don't know. Yeah, it really resonated. I've always had a huge gratitude towards any way that's worked for us in almost everybody to a T has been incredibly dedicated. And I mean, we don't get into each other's personal lives much, but like it, when we're at work, it's respectful. And I would say I have even love for a lot of them that have worked for us. And I definitely related to the feelings he was having of losing somebody and just trying to always not take that for granted, I think is, is a good yeah. memento. <laughs> yeah. Definitely worth you listening. Any um, progress on the neck? Yes, a little bit. I uh, knew that you were making progress on yours, so I felt <laughs> I felt the peer pressure to continue. Good, good. And I dug into the kits a little bit more in terms of playing with it, and especially like you said in Shopify. And I'm using this simple bundles plugin that I've been playing with, and it, as with everything, there's limitations on the bundle plugin with the variants and. Really, the thing that I think I'm striking up against now, which I do it in a more messy way, is I wanted to be able to have kits that could use either vertical or horizontal panels as being an option you could choose. But as of yet, I can't figure out how to do that with this bundle plugin. So I'm sure I could, you know, escape out of that and do it a different way. But I think I may have to just have like, I have one called like Knackwell Ply Kit. It might have to be horizontal or some kits may only be certain orientations or something like that. That's one of my weird constraints I'm running into, but I I have multiple kits and I'm putting stuff into them, which is big progress. I worked on some graphics. I think I might have sent that to you last week too, where it's kind of taking all of the objects that go on the wall and then trying to make them into something that's a scale representation of how much space they take up. And I'm going to try and put those on each of the objects in hope that that helps people understand how much they can throw onto each wall Mm. themselves. And the other thing I had a thought of is you could do automatic kind of discounting. And my whole intent is, you know, with a kit, it raises our cart, you know, value, right? But it also is a benefit to them if they order more at the same time. So I thought, well, if you buy a kit, and you want to add something else, I think I can throw in like an automatic discount of those other things that happens at the same time, as long as it's kind of the right formula. It's amazing how if you just try some of this stuff, like you've been saying, you get, you get somewhere, (laughs) you get some progress made. That feels nice. Yeah. It's like, like making anything, I suppose, being informed by the tool. And if the tool is Shopify and the constraints, what can I, can and can't do, I find, yeah, Mm -hmm. super effective. Yeah. That's great. Nice one. I really like your graphic style, by the way. Of that one I sent you? No, just in general. Oh, in general. Thanks. All your graphic collateral on your website and bits and pieces (laughs) you've sent me. It's nice. Thanks. I'm probably a one-trick pony 
uh, in terms of I don't have a lot of variability in it. It's kind of like my style is the one style I have. Mm. <laughs> Great. That's all it needs to be. I remember when we were studying industrial design at uni and I remember a comment from one of the, I think it was a graphic design lecturer, that we were industrial, we'd done this sort of publication outcome and I remember a, a graphic design lecturer talking about how he really liked the outcomes, the graphic outcomes from the industrial design cohort because it's very sort of, pra- pra- I don't know, pragmatic graphic mm-hmm. design. Yeah. They weren't really aware of what was happening in the graphic design industry. There was less sort sure. of like, I think he described it as less navel gazing, less sort of inward looking at industry trends and stuff and just like, how do we communicate an idea simply and effectively? I've always remembered that when I'm trying to do graphic in my yeah. very simplistic way, often in Rhino using hatch fill. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. um, I definitely know <laughs> my limits with graphic design and there was a mm. lot of that. I think the opposite of what you're describing in architecture where it was like mm. people would not capitalize the first letter letters of things <laughs> and like there'd be underscores all over the place for no reason. And I'm sure I did some of that too, as you're kind of learning yourself. Yeah. And yeah, totally. I, my brother was in a portion of design school at one point is a little bit younger than me, but he's always been a good place for me with, I'll ask him, what do you think about this? And I remember he told me, some years ago related to like a knack product i was trying to name whether it should be something branded or something just with a more straightforward name basically like an ikea like crazy you know like (laughs) something that doesn't really make any sense and he was like i don't know i don't really think you're that kind of person i think you should just name it as straightforward as possible and that's like been the Mm. easiest like path for me after that it was like i don't need to overcomplicate this it's like call it what it is not really like innovating names here yeah, yeah, it's good advice. <clears throat> All right, so how's I, I say your kid of parts uh, is uh, kid of, kid of. rolling? Yeah, it's made some good progress. I, de- I definitely feel the pressure of this. Like, as the week <laughs> progresses, I'm like, shit, I really need to make some progress. So, yeah, it's very effective. Made some solid progress yesterday. I'd already committed to dimensions, but sort of finally modeled up all the components, the new components in Fusion, gave them part numbers, SKUs, whatever. And then when Josh got in yesterday, I was like, cool, here's all the parts and here's the starting configurations that I want. And he modeled them up so I could start rendering and thinking about getting them online. So it's a few few more components than the existing Kitapart system. We need to sort of think how we're communicating the different configurations and we'll probably offer a few different kit sizes this time Mm -hmm. so small medium large rather than just one big kit yeah no it's good yeah yeah i'm always scared when i no i have been fearful of this situation of like new iteration and who's bought one last week or whatever going oh no i missed out or like yeah but i don't know that's unavoidable like this if you're gonna transition any product there's always going to be that point you stop one and start another and we're not really stopping the first one it's not going to be a hard stop we'll continue to service the new one's not backwards compatible but yeah it's set like a well-known sunset date yeah 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 great idea we'll do it for another 12 months get your orders in and there'll still be people that are mad about it i you know yeah you don't see it like i uh expired our courses that people had a year access to do their cnc training and i said a bunch of warnings (laughs) still had people months after the fact Mm. i don't know it's just gonna happen and i i have the same kind of concerns and 
I try to limit those kind of problems because I don't a want people mad. It it wears on you, I think. And yeah, it's probably yeah. best if we just could find a way to distance ourselves. When you make those decisions, it's easier to make the best ones for the business when you don't have to directly answer the customer service messages. Totally. Yep. Which I totally. do all of them. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I know that 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 feeling. I'm sure that's driven way too many of my thoughts over the last year about the <laughs> wool and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's good. I, it seems like you just like rocketed from, it seemed like a big problem we were talking about with all the dimensions <laughs> and then do me seems to have solved a decent amount. And then all of a sudden you were making parameters. So good yeah, job. It's just, com- just committing. And thanks for your YouTube fusion rendering video too, <laughs> by the way. It's I've helpful. been meaning to watch that for ages and i was like because mm, i've been thinking i wonder what justin knows about fusion rendering that i don't know and then <laughs> i was sitting down yesterday afternoon to start rendering some of these new configurations so i was like cool i'll just put it on the other screen and just watch while i'm working i think i'm across most of what you talked about but then just being seeing the way you were using those light admitting tubes mm-hmm. off camera yeah. i was like i'd played with light admitters a little bit but never sort of persisted past it looking just terrible and so i just persisted for an extra three minutes i was like oh actually this is this is (laughs) nice like i can make this work so i'll admit that fusion doesn't make it super easy like no no uh, you know you got to basically turn off the lights to preview it to be able to turn it into a final render that looks okay don't love that but um you can make some decent stuff i think yeah i'm glad it's somewhat helpful it's got pretty low views but the people that have watched it have commented nice things yeah cool Nice. Got a um, entertaining finale here. Have you seen this dolly thing at all? I tried to load it up before and it said there was too much traffic. It's a lot of problems, yeah. It'd be a mess. There's this thing called dolly and it's like an AI app and uh, <laughs> you can type in what you want it to say. And so I started oh, off pants. with CNC baby pants <laughs> and it creates a bunch of algorithmic combinations of those things so this was pretty terrible and you you can i'll probably post some of these videos or you can go watch the youtube this one's a little bit better baby pants with metal ducting for legs that are red it's mostly just baby pants that look like red this is my favorite by far baby pants with metal ducting for legs especially the middle one is fantastic Wow. Two podcast guys who are friends the faces are disturbing i think we'll have to use this one yeah, it's like a a bad expressionist baby riding a spindle with red pants. Eh, kind of disturbing. <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> like I have one more. An Australian guy named Jim with a robot, and <laughs> the faces are just so strange. But you have to kind of fight your way through basically DDoS of their like server. So you got to try it. If you, I, I did these kind of in the height of the the COVID fever, so. You wouldn't be surprised that they're a little strange. I found that entertaining. Uh, amazing. Cool. I'll have a go at that. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Very good. <laughs> nice. All right. What do you, what's your next step on? You, you've handed off Kit Parts. Is it on its way out? No, I haven't handed it off, but uh, I think next step is building it out in Shopify. Mm-hmm. Again, do what you're doing. Try and build out the variant logic hopefully these renders will help define the kit like part quantities and stuff like that yeah i'll try and try not to overthink it too much but not make regrettable decisions either somewhere in the middle yeah i really want to get them out this month if i can because that's what jim's beard sounds like 
we need a bit of a boost web traffic. Yeah. And, yeah, and also like- just aware of like now that I've kind of announced what I'm doing on Instagram, I don't want people, if they were thinking about buying something this month, I don't want them to hold off waiting for this new product that then doesn't drop. So yeah, for created sure. a bit of back pressure for myself. How do you, do you all do, I think you said before, do you do any type of pre-orders? No. Oh, yeah. I suppose that's my last update thought. That's funny. I always have one weird thing at the end of these is I uh, went to order a bunch of materials for uh, baby pants to start doing production runs and yeah. the brushes are back ordered for six to seven weeks. Oh, no. So I'm on my path of hopefully finding some alternatives, but I have enough for a few but it's yeah. definitely, I don't imagine, going to be as many as that wants them. Yeah. So, <laughs> Good problem to have in one sense. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. So I may do some form of like a, I don't want it extensively, but some form of back order so we know how much to kind of stock for. And, cool. And, cause, and, and the printing, like we all know, I've talked about, it's going to take some time to kind of yeah. keep up with that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it'll come as it comes, I think. And I've never not shipped a product to somebody as of yet in mm. a dozen years so not that anybody knows Great. that <laughs> have you thought about doing a pre-sale for baby pants yeah that, sorry that's kind of what i was thinking was yeah. probably do some type of controlled back order pre-sale situation yeah. probably sell a few that we have stock for and then make the messaging clear that this is going to take a few weeks because <laughs> the supply chain is a nightmare <laughs> mm-hmm. the same thing that i've been ordering to test all of a sudden was like six to seven weeks out. And I was like, what, wait, what, what? Now that I want it, it's not there. <laughs> yeah. I was a little frustrated with that. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. For sure. That's one. All right. I'll carry Off on. Off we go. I hope you're feeling better in no time. I think this helped a little bit. I was afraid my voice would go out, but I'm you, feeling all right, you actually. Pretty, you seem pretty good. Yeah. I, I haven't had a lot of talking, so. Maybe it's just been built up. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Have a good week, man. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. Bye. You can fall in a heap now. The cameras are off.